this week um, in our home group. It was the last of the, the series of being in the garden. And uh, I asked the question about where do we find um, a place of peace? Uh, and I imagine uh, in other groups, uh, certainly in my group, where our, our answers were places of stillness and of quiet. My, my own that I mentioned was looking up uh, at the starry sky in the evening and that sort of peace, the greatness of God. Uh, and uh, just being there. But maybe for you it's the, the sound and sight of seeing the shore, or uh, maybe just the wonder of uh, nature uh, as you go out. But um, since Thursday I've been thinking a bit, uh, and uh, it struck me that um, perhaps even in the chatter, of a family dinner table, that there might be a bringing of peace, peace to the heart. For uh, in there, uh, there can be a, a reassurance of relationship, uh, shared joys and concerns, and not to mention being fed, and the peace that that can sometimes bring us. As a family, uh, I sit um, with children and my wife at the kitchen table at dinner time. And there's normally five of us. Now, those of you that know my family might say, isn't there only four? Well, no, there's four humans and a dog. Four with plates and food, and back in our Labrador with a hopeful look, but no bowl. He doesn't usually get his evening meal for another couple of hours, but that doesn't mean that he gets nothing, because there can be the odd morsel of food that gets dropped, and sometimes there might be a scrap left over. And I guess our, our, our passage, if, uh, if nothing else, um, shows us that uh, some things haven't changed in 2,000 years, have they? You know, 2,000 years ago in, in the Holy Land, we, we get that bit about, well, even the dogs eat the scraps under the table. But this is not about canine behaviour or family mealtimes, but is about the openness of Jesus to Gentile people and his response to them. And it began with Jesus seeking a quiet time, looking to be away, not to be recognised. Now, sometimes we, we hear in the Gospels that he's gone up a mountain. He didn't head up a mountain. 
and he's not crossed to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is another thing he has previously attempted to find that peace, that stillness that he desires. But he goes north, out of the main Jewish areas. And in Mark's telling, not even the disciples seem to be present. They're, they're absent. Matthew would dispute that. Um, they would come into that account. But, but either way, uh, the, there's a sense of trying to escape the large crowds. And hospitality is found. Uh, a home is open where he may eat. But he fails to remain incognito. The, the, the person coming and interrupting, disturbing the peace, is, is not a Jewish follower. It's not someone who's trailed after them to this region. It's not even a local. It's a Syrophoenician Greek woman. A woman that culture would say has nothing to do with Jesus. In fact, even the fact that she is a woman would mean that normally she shouldn't be approaching a man. But she comes. She has somehow found him. And she comes and she falls at his feet and petitions him. She has not kept to the protocols or the politeness or the politics of life. She has a real need. And the only one that can meet that need is Jesus. The psychologist uh, Abram Maslow identified back in the 1940s that the idea of a hierarchy of needs. Most fundamental are, are those elements that we, we need just to simply be alive. We need food. We need water to drink. We need shelter. We need air to breathe. And then above that, he put things like our health and our financial security. And then moved into psychological needs, families and friendships, and then respect and self-esteem. And at the top of the pyramid comes the idea of reaching one's full potential in life. Being all that you can be. Being all that you could ever hope to achieve. The conversation between the, the woman and Jesus sees her uh, to shed off that self-respect and uh, she, as she falls to his feet. She humbles herself. She throws away her dignity and considers herself like a dog. Her position on the floor before him is almost like a dog. And that's a derogatory term. But she comes that her child may be healed. She is willing to get rid of everything for this one thing. 
But the Christ is able to do far more than meet the things at the bottom of the pyramid. Indeed, it is only with Christ that we can truly become who we are intended to be. Not through our choosing, not through our efforts, not through anything that anybody else in our family or in our friends have done, but by God's love and by God's grace. And by his mercy, we can be adopted into the Father's family and given a seat at the heavenly banquet. We are nothing compared to him, the one who created the stars in space. But we are given a feast, a place at the table. Jesus takes that woman's brokenness and restores her and restores her child distant though that daughter may be. The ethnicity and the gender are of no consequence to him. What is important is that she came to him, she laid herself before him, and a new beginning comes. Jesus had already hinted in his opening words to the woman that the kingdom wasn't just for the children of Israel. He says, first let them be fed. But that word first means not only let them be fed. And we start to see this as the passage continues into the second half, as he travels to the Decapolis, the region of ten cities. Now this is a Gentile place that he goes to. And he knows that already. It's a place that he has previously visited. It's a place that he's previously visited looking for a quiet time. But he didn't get a quiet time when he went there. And if you remember the account from Mark 5 of casting out of legion into a herd of pigs, you will get a sense that Jesus knows on returning there that it will not be a peaceful place, that he will be recognised. And that he also knows that it's a place that had a herd of pigs. It's not a Jewish place. It's a place where the populated predominantly with people of Roman and Greek cultural background. It's the edge of the frontier of the Roman Empire. Yet this is where he goes after a conversation about who the good news of the kingdom is for. He goes to people that are quite different from him. Jesus doesn't stick in the familiar territory of a Jewish man, Galilee, Jerusalem. No, he doesn't stick there. And as the crowd approaches, he brings forth the food of the kingdom. Not baked bread, but life in its fullness. Their response declares that Jesus has made 
the deaf hear and the mute speak. And whether that crowd realise it, this is a, a live enactment of Isaiah 35, where the prophet proclaims what the kingdom will be like that the Messiah will reign over. Whether they knew that scripture or not, the result is that despite being asked to be quiet, they just can't help themselves. And they speak, not just the one that's been made able to speak, but everyone speaks of the good news of what Christ has done. I imagine that uh, although we might want to commit ourselves to sharing our faith, as the young people's leaders did earlier, I imagine that we in our faith are not so loud and as exuberant as those from the east of Galilee. But even with a quiet faith, we need to recognise what is happening in the passage, that the traditional barriers are breaking down and the kingdom is extending. At times, we might be deaf to what the gospel actually tells us is the way of Jesus. And perhaps we are mute concerning the truth we know. But that healing word of Epha-Fada, be open, it needs to come to our hearts and to our minds. We need to be open to people of different backgrounds, different abilities, different generations. We need to be open to the Spirit speaking to us about our direction individually and as a church. We need to be open to the reality of the love of God and the need for us to share that love. Yet I wonder whether at times we take what we have and think of it as being ours rather than trusted by God for sharing. Maybe even the gospel food we have is thought of being for us. The priority is the family. And those outside of the church that are looking on, they have a hunger, but they don't know how it can be satisfied, uh, are like the dogs awaiting a scrap to fall. We sort out our priorities. We have our fill in our life rather than being sacrificial in love. I wonder how we live our lives. Do we socialize just with our friends, our fellow believers? Or do we join groups outside the door of this place? And in so doing, quietly bear witness to the mercy and to the grace of God. Do we think the priority for the families and young people that might come here during the week is that they come here on a Sunday? Is that our priority? Or that they might grow in faith in a way that is right for them? Perhaps we need to be more open to scripture than tradition. 
Jesus went to where the people were. People who were different. That wouldn't have fitted the society he was part of. And he opened the way for them to know more of God. May we discover more of what it is to be a family. A family that welcomes more and more. A family that is very diverse. A family that inspires others to come before Jesus, declaring him their Lord and seeing them being fed. Amen.